Well, this morning we're going to do a similar thing that we've done a couple of times. You've had two people on the stage a number of times in the last uh, few weeks. And so, uh, again today, I have the privilege of doing the message together with Marianne. And I'll introduce her part in, in just a minute. Let me, uh, first of all, just encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 15. As uh, we are coming almost to the end of this incredible book and this series that we've been in for the last six or so months, and uh, next week, Spencer is going to be concluding the series in Romans 16. And so today we're looking uh, partly at the last half of Romans chapter 15. Because of time and some of the other things that we're doing this morning, we're not going to dig into a lot of it, but I want to just point you to a few things there. Uh, the last section is Romans 14 to the end of 33, and, and I want you to think about it in this way. Uh, think about it in kind of three sections, and we'll allude to this a little bit uh, here this morning, but we'll mainly focus on the first one. So Romans 14 to 21, which I'm going to read in a minute, maybe think of that one as this uh, call and this passion that Paul has about being personally involved in the ministry. Personally involved in ministry. And then if you look at the next section from verse 22 uh, through to 29, uh, you might call that be financially involved in the ministry in terms of giving, and in terms of investing, and that your financial investment matters, and that's a, a big part of your worship. And, and even in there, in that section, which we won't actually spend uh, time in today, you'll see he talks about this gift that is coming from the churches of Macedonia, and how it's going to Jerusalem, and how these Gentile believers were wanting to give back because of what the, the gift of the gospel that they had from the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And so uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 and also in the book of Acts. And here in Romans, he's referring to that as well too, about this gift that's going back and be involved financially in the ministry. And then the last section, verse 30 to 33, is pray for those on the front lines of the ministry. To be actively involved by praying. Pray for those on the front lines of the ministry. Paul, he, he faced so many challenges. He faced so much in the call that he had in Christ, in, in bringing this gospel to the front lines around the world, in that region of the world. And he invites people to engage in prayer. He says, pray for me, but pray also for those uh, that are on the front lines of the ministry. And we're going to see some of that uh, here today. But, but as I mentioned, primarily I want to just focus for a few minutes on verses 14 to 21. And then we're gonna, I'm going to interview Marianne and we're going to talk a little bit around some practical stories around that. And so let me just read verse 14 to 21 where Paul continues, he says, for I am fully convinced, remember I read this last week, where it was like a word of encouragement to the church. And I said it as a word of encouragement to you as a church too, as mature believers, you're, you're doing so much of this. And that's what Paul is saying. You're doing so much of this. I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. What a good word that is. You know these things. You know these things so well that you can teach each other all about them. And even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. So that's the word of encouragement that Paul's given to this church in Rome. And he's saying, you know this stuff. You're living out of this stuff. Uh, I want to encourage you in that. I just want to remind you about these things. And so we talked a little bit about that last week as well, too, as we ended off. And then he says, for by God's grace, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So here Paul again indicates this call on his life that him as a Jewish believer, that as somebody who was transformed by this gospel, who came to see Jesus as Messiah, who lived his whole life memorizing and understanding and teaching the Torah, 
And now he is, has this unique call to the Gentile world. And he's saying this to the people in Rome. And he's saying, my call has been to you people. And so he says that. I bring you the good news that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. And yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I work among them. And I love that, what he says there. He says, by my message and the way I work among them. In other words, as we proclaim the gospel, not only do we proclaim it with our lips, but we live it with our lives. And Paul is saying, we, I live the gospel in your midst, but I also spoke the gospel. And so even as we've talked about our discipleship steps, and the, the fourth one that we talked about, about serving others and proclaiming the gospel. They always go hand in hand. We serve others, we live the gospel with our lives, and we proclaim the gospel with our lips. They go together. And that's what Paul is saying here as well, too, of what, how he lived among them. And then he says, They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And in our mission statement, we talk about um, proclaiming the gospel and serving others, discipling others, loving God from the river to the ends of the earth. And in many ways, that's what Paul's saying here, from the river to the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And you can go and look on one of your Bible maps in the back and find Illyricum, and you'll see that in that region, it would have been the ends of the earth. And so he says, I am proclaiming this gospel from Jerusalem all the way there. Then he says, my ambition, my passion, my desire, my calling has been always to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. And so Paul has this passion, this inner conviction, this desire, this ambition that is the absolute focus of his life to proclaim this gospel in places that have not heard the gospel. And even uh, for us as a church and as an MB family, that is part of our calling as MB Mission leads and guides us to the least reach, to ch- plant churches in the least reach places of the world. And that is a part of what we are a part of. And so we too have this calling, just like Paul, to take the gospel to the place where it's never been heard before. And this is Paul's passion, his ambition. Now, it's interesting that, that Rome was a church and a place that a church that Paul didn't plant and a place that he had actually never been when he had written this book, which is so interesting. He had longed to be with them. He had heard about them and he had a desire for them and he wanted to visit them, but he had never been there. And if you flip back to Romans chapter one and where we began this series in January, and I want to just remind you of a few verses here and It's not on the screen, but you can read it or just listen in where Paul says in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, you church in Rome, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. In other words, you're making an impact. I've heard about your faith. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart, by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is this opportunity, the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. And when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. One of my favorite verses in all of Romans. I want to encourage you in your faith, 
But when we get together, I also want to be encouraged by your faith. That's the beauty of community that Paul talks about there. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but have been prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both, uh, in the, both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome too to pre- preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. That's right in the beginning of how Paul started this letter to this church. And now as we come to the end, we see him kind of coming around to that and saying, what an incredible privilege it's been to proclaim this gospel to the Gentile people, first for the Jew and now for the Gentile, and taking this message to the very ends of the earth by the power of his Holy Spirit and seeing lives transformed. So what I want to do now and for the remainder of our time is actually Mary Ann's going to preach the rest of this. And... uh, Many of you know Mary Ann. Most of you know Mary Ann. She's our missions pastor. She's served at our church for many years, been part of our congregation for many years, and has just done a tremendous job of helping us in this. And uh, as we see in the text today, you know, centuries ago, the Apostle Paul, he had this passion, this ambition, as I said, to bring the message and transforming power of the gospel uh, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, from the river to the ends of the earth. And Marianne, you've helped us in so many ways as missions pastor to live that out as a congregation. And I know recently that you were just in a country far, far away from here in Colombia and South America. And uh, some of us were wondering, okay, what exactly were you doing there? And so take a few minutes to just describe the team that you were with and also what was the purpose of this trip that you were recently on? Sure. Well, while I was in Colombia, my daughter and I were a part of uh, the movement called Building Leaders for Peace. And Building Leaders for Peace is working in, in various conflict zones around the world. In fact, right now, um, my daughter and, and many others are in Turkey, and uh, they are doing similar things to what we did in Colombia. So our main goal, we were a team of 11 North Americans, and we came together with um, some of the leaders, the pastors of the MB churches uh, throughout Colombia, and also with organizations like MCC and others that are, are already working for peace in Colombia. And uh, our, our main goal was to listen, uh, to learn, to hear their stories, to collaborate together. And as Bruce read in the beginning of Romans, we wanted to encourage them and also be encouraged in our faith as well as we met together with them. So I think that's our whole group. So all together, I think we were between 65 and 70 people um, from all over Colombia. We met in a beautiful camp setting. Uh, this is a camp that our missionaries, Trevor and Joan Goddard, um, who worked in Colombia for many years, helped um, to start. And I know some of you here were even a part of helping build that cabin and other places there. So. So that was our main goal for being there. But I want to also give you a little bit of context um, to this country of Colombia. Colombia is a country that's been struggling um, with civil conflict for over 50 years. And there are many different guerrilla groups, paramilitary groups, government groups, and all kinds of acronyms of, of groups that I didn't understand, but that have been a part of this conflict over Um, these last 50 or 60 years. And so it's very complicated. 
But what we did see and what we did learn is that violence and fear is just um, become a way of life for the people in Colombia, as you can imagine. And because of that, there's also a culture of revenge and a culture of fear and of retaliation. And so that really feeds into uh, the violence that's going on there. While we were there, we heard many stories of suffering and stories of violence. Um, but we also heard stories of hope and courage, and especially among the young adults, um, a new generation coming up, right, believing that there can be a change in their country. And so that's the, the age that Building Leaders for Peace um, wants to focus on as well so that they can bring some change. So believe it or not, um, the latest peace process began in Colombia in 2012, and I think they've had many over the years, but... Um, right now, this peace process that started in 2012, um, currently they're working with, the government has an agreement with FARC, which is one of the guerrilla groups. And um, while we were there, uh, two of the three dates um, happened where the government has said, if the guerrillas want to lay down their arms, their weapons, um, in exchange for six months of wages and six months of rehabilitation in a camp, then they are free to go and to live back in civilization. So two of those dates, um, the final one happened actually while our team was there, and we didn't have anything to do with that. But um, I know it wasn't coincidence God had us there at that time, and that was a big part of our discussions uh, with the people, the leaders in Colombia, because they know change is coming. These ex-guerrillas are going to try um, to make a new life among them. And these guerrillas are afraid to come back into society. And so they are actually going to the churches and they're asking them, please help us. Please help pave the way for us to um, live a life of peace and freedom and nonviolence after all that we have been a part of. So um, it's just an amazing thing. One key thing that we heard over and over again during our time there was a call for the churches um, to be engaged in this ministry of reconciliation and to help these ex-guerrillas as well as the victims learn how to heal and to live together again. Um, so that's a challenge, and I think this next year in Colombia will be um, a significant time for them to see if they can begin to walk out uh, more of this peace process, and it's, it's complicated. But um, one Colombian leader, she was this just fireball of, of a, a woman who said, peace is a process, and it's not going to be easy, but it is possible. And so I just echo Marta's words and uh, want to believe that with her. So. so you talk about the challenge and also opportunity of reconciliation. And I know the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about this ministry of reconciliation that we have been given. Uh, this reconciliation that is both um, vertical between us and God and horizontal between people. And it's a huge a aspect. It's, it's at the core of the gospel of being reconciled to this God who's created us. But also, again, it, it changes how we live, even how we've been talking about in Romans. When you understand the gospel of Christ and it transforms you, it changes how you live on the horizontal. It changes, you know, it's that sanctification piece that we've been talking about. And so what's a story that captures some of that ministry of reconciliation of all the stories that you heard there? What's a story that sort of captures it for you that talks about this transformation that can happen and the reconciliation that is possible? 
Yeah, it was definitely hard to pick out one story, but I want to tell you about um, Santiago. Santiago is a Colombian man that probably in his 50s or 60s, it was, it was hard to tell, but um, he is an ex-commander in um, the guerrilla group that was known as FARC. And while our group um, gathered together in a, a church to sit with him and uh, hear his story, he started out his story by saying, well, I'm really thankful to the Lord that I can stand before you as Christian North Americans and not want to kill you. And we all kind of sat there and thought, did we hear this translation correctly? <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was really a powerful moment just to, to sit across from someone who had had that feeling for many years. But Santiago continued to tell us his story that he had been trained um, for like 15 hours a day, he said, you know, to, to hate Christians and North Americans. And as a commander, he was the given the name Geronimo, which meant that he was a fearless leader and had commanded um, his, his group with a lot of, of fear. So Geronimo had closed churches. He had persecuted and um, commanded others and probably himself had killed Christians. And um, he, he wanted to use this as a way to control the communities that he was in charge of in this rural area in the mountains of Colombia. That was just part of what FARC was about. At night, he told the story that often he would see lights on in the community down below where their camp was. And he, even though he had closed the churches, he felt that this was a sign that some of the Christians were gathering to meet and to pray and worship together um, late into the night. So he would command his um, army to go down there, some of his guys to go down there and to shut down these gatherings and to bring back the Christians and to um, persecute them and I don't know eventually what he would do to them. So these guys would go down the mountain and uh, they would come back empty-handed and they would tell Geronimo that, you know what, there were no lights on. We didn't see anyone. And yet they would look back down the mountain and they would see these lights are still on. And to me that was just a powerful reminder of how God hides his people under the shelter of his wings and he protects them from persecution at times. And it also is a reminder to me that we need to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters and churches that are persecuted around the world and that we would pray for them not only to have protection, but that they would continue to have courage and boldness as they meet together, even when there is um, fear of opposition or fear of death. Because this really, really spoke to Geronimo and was a part of his testimony. So God was continuing to pursue Geronimo over several years, and there's many stories um, that he told us that I can't go into now, but God was showing him through the courage of believers, um, believers who had boldness to stand in the midst of persecution, and even to come to Geronimo himself and to speak love, uh, the love of Jesus to him, when he was someone that had, you know, harmed them. Eventually, Geronimo allowed the churches to open again in the areas that he was um, in charge of and he sat outside some of these churches as they began to meet again and he thought oh I'll only see a few people gathering but instead he saw more Christians coming than there had been before he had closed the churches and again this was just a witness to him that even in the face of 
of persecution and fear, uh, these churches, these Christians had grown. And uh, yeah, what a powerful witness of how God is at work, even in the midst of persecution. So God used the lives of these many courageous believers, including those that were martyred for their faith, to impact um, Hieronimo's life and to lead him to eventually surrender um, his life to Jesus and to receive forgiveness. And so he began a journey of, of forgiveness and reconciliation with God and then a journey of reconciliation with other men and women in his life. So to me, he's just like a modern-day Saul turned Paul, right? Paul, who were, you know, who authored um, Romans that we're, we're studying right now, he persecuted, he killed Christians, and yet God changed his life and used him in uh, miraculous ways as he carried on. So Hieronimo's life was changed when he encountered Jesus as he was hiding in a cave and many people were pursuing him from some of the different military groups. It was seriously just this Bible story that he kept telling us and, and was really amazing. But his new name that God gave him is Santiago, which in English is James. And so just like Saul, God gave him a new name, Paul. And now Santiago, he goes out seeking the lost and seeking those that are feared by others, the gorillas that are still out in the mountains, and he's giving his life to that. Um, God is sending Santiago to search for those that the church or that others can't go to, and he's using him and his witness in a powerful way. And so as Santiago finished sharing with us, he, um, he said to us this quote, The Bible is a machine gun of 66 books, and I now shoot the message of eternal life. I'm thankful that God took my heart of stone and he gave me a heart of flesh, ready to take the gospel of peace wherever he calls me and to be a fearless soldier in the Lord's army. So what a powerful story of how God took this man who um, the enemy was using for evil and God changed his heart to become a soldier in, in God's army of peace. And so that was really a powerful thing. As a group, after we heard um, Santiago's story, we, we asked if we could join um, together and just pray for him. And so we gathered together there in that church, and, and as we came around him um, to pray, he said, I'm, I need to go on my knees. And so he bent down, and he's got problems in his knees, and we helped him down onto the ground and, and just humbly um, received prayer from us. And... When he got up, one of the Americans on our team just really felt that God was leading him uh, on behalf of us as North Americans as, as, um, to just offer a word of repentance and forgiveness for the ways that we as countries have been involved over the years in the conflict in Colombia. And I don't even really know what those ways are, but it was just a step of saying, we want to be reconciled to you as a representative of Canada and the United States. And so that was also a powerful time of reconciliation between countries. Then one of the um, Colombian women that was serving with us, um, she reached out to Santiago too and she said, you know, the FARC has caused much pain in my own life and in my community, but I want to ask for your forgiveness because I have feared you and I have hated you, and I don't want to do that anymore, so forgive me. I want to have reconciliation with you and with other members of the FARC. 
And uh, she just, her life already um, is committed to helping some of these communities and the ex-guerrillas find their way to reconciliation with Jesus and with one another. And so, as you can imagine, it was, it was a really powerful time. While it was all happening, I think I didn't even really know what was fully going on. But as I reflect on it now, it's like, wow, that was just a, a powerful time. So, after all of this, what is, what is your prayer for Colombia? How is it that you are being led to pray for this country and, and this ministry of reconciliation? Yeah, as I've just been thinking and processing in these weeks at home, um, I just have thought back to how we as a North American team, we spent time, you know, before we were meeting together with the Colombians in prayer and in worship. And um, something that really uh, God used as we worshiped together and prayed was lines from a song, and it's actually from Ezekiel. And the song became our prayer um, for the nation of Colombia and for others that are seeking peace. And the words go like this. It says, we call out to dry bones, come alive. We cry out to dead hearts, come alive. Up, out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. Breathe, O breath of God, breathe. O breath of God, now breathe. And so our prayer then and my prayer now is just that God would continue to rise up like an army of believers that would come out of even the mountains. I have this picture of, of them coming up out of the mountains like Geronimo did. And that um, God would take the gospel of peace through those people um, that are seeking a new way of life. And, and I pray this too as, as even you know people are meeting today in Turkey and eventually going um, to other countries with this gospel of peace that God would continue to raise up an army of peacemakers and people who would want to keep the peace in other places. So, yeah. I know that uh, you have many stories from this trip and there's too many to tell. Um, I've read a number of them that are uh, still being edited and so on. And I remember even the one with Geronimo was, you know, the 16-year-old boy who actually stood up to him and challenged him and confronted a guerrilla commander and absolutely had no fear of him because he was a believer. And he said, you should actually fear me, and how that just rattled him to the very core, and he started to explore faith and so on. So incredible stories. Uh, where can people read some of these other stories, and um, is there maybe one more aspect of the story that you'd want to share this morning? Yeah, it was, it was really great. We had um, a woman on our team uh, who was there primarily to, to take the stories that we were hearing and to get those into print. And so some of those will come out eventually, maybe even in, in you know, the MB Herald or the Witness, but um, probably in the next month, we will try to put those up as transformation stories on our website. Or if you want to go and, and even just learn more about Building Leaders for Peace, you can Google that, just BL and the number four and P, um, buildingleadersforpeace.org and, and you can find lots of really good things on there that give you more of a picture even of the, the broader Building Leaders for Peace. But yeah, stories, there's so many. Um, when I was at the peace camp on the last night, we were um, having communion together and washing one another's feet and, and I just shared with uh, the Colombians there that I wanted to come back to my church and take opportunity to share their stories um, with you and with others when I had opportunity and just that we would stand together with them as our brothers and sisters in in prayer and encouraging them as they 
continue in this significant time of peace building in their country. You know, I, I think there's a picture. Yeah, this was actually my team. We were broken into teams, and, you know, all those people represented different areas of Colombia and different stories. And, you know, I met a pastor who's helping the local farmers in his area turn the crops that were illegal. They, they obviously, um, a lot of crops with drugs because they can make a lot of money, but they're illegal. And so they're helping them as a church change those crops over to be um, for coffee or to cocoa beans. And so that's a whole kind of um, thing that they're doing, which is huge. I met a young, beautiful woman who's a lawyer who's committed to helping the ex-gorillas and just passionate about walking alongside of them and entering into that kind of, of work. I met a, a courageous group of leaders, young adults, older adults, who have lived in a conflict zone for many, many years. And they had a big map that they'd made of their community, and they showed, this is our community center, this is our church, this is where my home is, this is where the bullets went over, this is where people were captured. And they just gave us this step-by-step -step of some of the things that have happened. And they have been committed to walk together um, with another organization in Colombia to work for peace and just find healing and reconciliation in their lives and then really reach out to their community as well as the gorillas that are right there in their area. So it was just overwhelming to think of um, how many people and how many stories there were. The Colombians I met were full of courage, as you can tell, and resilience and creativity, and they have a desire for peace. And so it was just a humbling uh, experience to hear their stories and to be able to share them um, with you here. So Marianne, last question for you. Just um, as we are, as a church, we're part of this great commission. We're part of, we have this passion to also bring this gospel and be involved in that from the river to the ends of the earth. And what's just a word of encouragement, a word of challenge for us coming out of this trip that, that you sense and feel with even a greater passion, just given what you've experienced as we sit comfortably here in Saskatoon and as we think of what does it mean to be the church in a global way, you know, local, national, global, what is that, what's a word of encouragement or challenge that you would leave us with? Well, I have been processing this a lot while I've been home here and obviously in Colombia too and, and, and just the statement that God calls us um, to be a people of peace and he's given us this amazing ministry of reconciliation through Jesus and at times I've realized too that, you know, we will be the victim and at times we'll be the offender. And um, God invites us to be reconciled to him and to others in, in repentance and in forgiveness. And we really have no control over the other party in that. We can't cause reconciliation to happen, but we can do our part in either forgiving the offender or asking repentance and um, asking for forgiveness from those that we have offended. So that's affected me just personally in my everyday life, um, asking myself the question, you know, will I step in and say that I'm sorry? Will I be willing to forgive those that have offended me? And I think it's really powerful when we walk alongside of people who have been um, hurt. And that can be in all kinds of different ways. And even as we have many newcomers here in our own city, who've come from places of conflict, if we walk alongside of them and ask them their stories and offer this message of reconciliation through peace, that's powerful. 
And I, I think, too, the question of how do we walk alongside um, our own First Nations brothers and sisters in reconciliation and peace. What does that look like? We need to pray about that as a church as well and continue to step into that and learn what that will be like. So my encouragement to you as a church and as individuals is that we have this amazing message of good news that changes lives. And are we willing? Are we willing to be men and women of courage um, to take this message to those here at the river, you know, whether it's our families, whether it's newcomers, whether it's people that we work with, um, are we willing to take that message of hope? And also, are we willing to consider to go to the least reached areas of the world that Paul talks about, maybe to live in the middle of the conflict? And parents, are we willing to release our kids to go? Or grandparents, are you willing to release and pray for your kids to go if God calls them into these places of conflict so that they can bring this message of peace? We are all people of peace wherever we live, and um, we're called to support also just that ministry of sending through prayer and through finances um, here, but also to the least reached areas of the world. So I guess that would be my encouragement. That's a good word of encouragement. Uh, why don't we stand together, and I'm, I'm going to ask Marianne to just conclude in prayer. And, and parents, if uh, you, you need to go and get your kids right now from the kids program, you can you can go and do that. Worship team, come on up. And uh, I just asked Marianne if she would just, uh, she said in her story about how her commitment to them is that we would tell these stories and also stand with them in prayer. And so we want to do that, literally, here and stand with them in prayer. And I just asked Marianne if she would just lead us in prayer here this morning uh, in that regard. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you right now, God, and we are humbled um, by your grace, by your mercy, by the gift of Jesus and this amazing act of um, reconciliation and, and sacrifice, Lord, that you gave us through Jesus dying on the cross that makes it possible for us to have reconciliation with you, Jesus, and with others. And so we thank you for that. Now, Father, we want to just um, stand together today with our brothers and sisters in Colombia. And Father, with our brothers and sisters in um, Syria and Turkey and Iraq and all around the world, Father, even those right here in our own country with our First Nations brothers and sisters as well, God. And Father, we want to cry out to you, Lord, that you would just bring those dead bones back to life, Lord. And we cry out to you, Lord, that you would just revive the dead hearts, that they would become hearts of softness towards you, Lord, hearts of flesh. And God, that you would breathe on them. And Jesus, that you would bring hope and life and freedom and forgiveness, Lord, as you did in Santiago's life. And Father, we pray that we would just see an army of new believers um, rise up out of the ashes, God, in Colombia and in these other countries. People who would be reconcilers of peace and bring that message god um, to others so father we stand together with the churches in colombia and god we ask that you would empower them we ask that you would give them wisdom and courage and boldness and just your holy spirit would fall on them so that they would be able to walk out these next months lord of um yeah a lot of significant changes coming to their country and so we just ask you god for peace uh, the peace of God in the country of Colombia and around the world, Father. 
And we just thank you for your work in our lives. And we commit um, all of these things to you, Lord, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.